Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Ida Rodriguez, and here we are, another episode of Truth Serum. This one's a special one. Um, I just want to say thank you to all of you who have been supporting, you've been sharing, you've been liking, you've been reposting, you've been commenting and engaging, and we're going to keep it true, and we're going to keep it real here because Truth Serum is where I come to have conversations with people of color, having conversations about the issues and the matters that pertain to us from our perspective, uh, whatever that perspective may be. Um, today, I am excited because um, someone who I find uh, to be one of our treasures and one of the people that you youngins say we have to protect at all costs is joining us. And we're going to have a conversation about all things Orlando Jones. And um, I was watching um, Room 106. Is that what it was? Room 104. Six or four? Four. My bad. Four. Four. It, you could have been in a different room, though. You know how you I know. I would, the only reason I watched this because you were on. There. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Yo, what's this weird shit? What is this? And then <laughs> I was like, uh, Orlando's on it. We got to watch. We got to watch. But um, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm a fan, so I'm I'm excited to talk to you. You're a very funny lady. I thank you. I'm a fan, and you know, I, I saw your I went through your Instagram page yesterday and I saw mm -hmm. that I both think Yamanika is very funny. <laughs> yeah, she's very funny to me. <laughs> That's my girl. She's um, I want to say first and foremost, you've been you started uh you you're you have that comedic muscle. You were on Mad TV. And oh, yeah. yeah, you were. And and a lot of people don't realize that comedy is, you know, can be hard. It's easy to be dramatic. It's easy to cry. <laughs> it's a night tap into your trauma. <laughs> comedy is something that comes from a place where if it's not organic, it doesn't work. And yeah, you managed, you know, to just even your monologues on American Gods were there was still humor in that, right? How do you I feel? Hope so, huh? I said I hope so. No, it was. It was. It was funny. It was. It was painful. It was hard. It was sweet. It was all of those things. But I'm. I. I'm not gonna. I, I'm. I'm excited that you're here because I am really a fan of yours, and I think that people need to understand. Um, I gravitate towards artists, like people who are artistic, not celebrities. And so you have. Um, you're a true artist. You know, you're a writer. You're an actor. You're funny. You're dramatic. You are uh, angry. You are all of the things that I am. I'm blushing and can't nobody tell. So that's the <laughs> that's the beauty of that chocolate. You see what I'm saying? You can't you can't always see what's going on. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. And you were the Seven Up Man mm -hmm. as well. So I'm I'm running okay. the reading your Wikipedia and your bio <laughs> or IMDb. I'm just going to the things that uh, that you know that I remember because. Uh, the man that was a seven up man before you was um, Jeffrey Holder. Jeffrey. And yeah. an so amazing he, artist. An amazing artist, boomerang. Yes. And yep. then you came along and made it your own. I did. You know, those are big shoes to fill. I don't think people realize he was uh, an extraordinary stylist and costume designer. Uh, he was one of the people responsible for the whiz uh, and the look and feel of that epic musical. I mean, he was. A, a, an incredible singer, an incredible dancer. Um, and he didn't get the same opportunities I got in Hollywood. So people know him as uh, you know the uncool guy, but mm -hmm. but that charisma that, that he was able to exhibit, 
in the way he got that job after not having a resume that most people would even respect was because it was a testament to the artist that, that he was. And so I was really honored to step into his shoes, but I always feel bad when people think of him that way because, you know, he was, he's in the Nina Simone category of, of, of true artists that, you know, pioneered before, you know, before I ever got here. So I, I really like to, to respect them and their work and, and, the fights and battles that they took for me to be able to be as successful as I've been. It's not without them, that's for sure. So tell us where you came from. Before all of this Hollywood stuff came about, where, what were the beginnings like for you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm Southern. I'm, I'm, I call myself a country boy because uh, I'm from the deep South. Um, born in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, I lived in Columbus, Georgia, uh, let's see, Greenville, South Carolina, Tallahassee, Florida, Orangeburg, South Carolina. Um, so I grew up in South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Uh, my father was a, a professional athlete and uh, baseball player and then became a coach and has coached collegiate basketball for 30 years. And um, my mother was a librarian and then she became promotion manager of one of the largest NBC affiliates on the East Coast. Um, and uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, covering like covering a three-state area, basically. So she was the person who wrote the charter for the FCC to give them their broadcast license. She did all the community-based shows, produced them. She created the Jefferson Awards. So, you know, I grew up in the shadow of those two people. I had extraordinary parents. I won the parents' lottery, to be honest with you. And, uh, and that's kind of where I came from. And then I, I wanted to go to Hollywood and I started an advertising agency when I was 17 years old. And so I did advertising when I was 18 and it was my advertising work that got me in the rooms to get noticed. And then I got a writing job and, um, and then I got an acting job and sketch comedy show and it kind of went on from there. But um, that's kind of where I came from and it was a very strange ride, but you know, I was, I was really blessed. When we, when you talk about, um, you've been doing a lot of interviews. I saw you on Karen Hunter, who's also my girl. Mm -hmm. and you think about your journey in Hollywood. And so when it comes to people of color, we are in spite of, whereas so many people have the opportunities because they have the cousins and the uncles, they have the skin tone. How do you think that your traje your trajectory was affected um, in terms of your being a black man in Hollywood, because you are a unapologetic black man, and you're not um, you're not what they call non-threatening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny to hear you say that because I think the entire first half of my career, I was thought of as the epitome of non-threatening. No. I mean, truly, uh, like I have friends that say that to me, like, you like you, somebody's mad, like, what are they talking about? Like, they're, and I'm, I'm talking, you know, white friends of mine who are perplexed, having known me for 25 years, that anyone would categorize me the way, you know, as, you know, that way. It's amazing to me. Um, I, listen, this is what I'll say. I am a direct benefit of some very specific parties that people have very differing opinions about. So... Mm -hmm my opportunity was a direct result of Bill Cosby, no question. No. It was also a direct result of him empowering a particular African-American woman, Susan Fales, who was the person along with Deborah All. Those two women made the decision to hire me. 
a black woman and and uh, a, a wonderful wonderful woman uh, who happens to be of Jewish faith from Detroit. But those two ladies are the people that gave me my first break. So I got empowered by two women. I, I was in a room that was run by women. I was taught to write by a group of extraordinary women in Hollywood, and that's been my trajectory. So, but I also grew up at the foot of a lot of black women with them experiencing what they're experiencing and me being the invisible black boy next to them. So my perspective coming into Hollywood wasn't such a jumble because it was, you know, Yvette Lee Bowser and Susan Fales and, you know, and, and a group of also a lot of Jewish men, you know, Gary Miller and Joe Fish and all these guys who took me under their wing, but I was still invisible. You know, nobody, I wasn't threatening. I was a kid. So people were trying to help me more than anything else. Um, and I was smart enough to work hard and keep my mouth shut because I was told to shut up. <laughs> so nobody minced words. <laughs> I think the first joke I pitched in the room at a different world, I think it might've been Joe, it might've been Gary Miller. Gary Miller looked over, as calm as you please, by the way. And he said, what do you want to do? Pedal that joke door to door with a fucking manual? <laughs> Okay, um, so that was that's how they indoctrinated you, right? Nobody, there was no kid gloves involved. You know, people told you what it was. People were nasty often with you, and so for me, that informed my trajectory. But I never took any of that personally. Right. You can't. Who could? Who? Who had time? Honestly, for, I mean, I didn't have time for that, right? I mean, anybody could have snapped their fingers and sent me back to, to you know. Charleston, South Carolina, where I came from. You know, I came out with a duffel bag and a bike. I slept in my boy's floor and I used to take my t-shirts and stuff them with my other t-shirts to make a pillow. So, you know, that, you know, I, I didn't know nobody who knew nobody, you know. I, so I just thought, you know, it was really simple, you know, work hard, listen, but mostly because you are invisible, don't try and be visible. And, and that was a, the greatest lesson of my career. And I'm, I'm so grateful that, that Paul Aaron gave it to me because he was like, you're in a room full of people who are funny, been funny for a long time. They're not gonna be impressed by you, shut up. And, and observing that room was, <laughs> was a PhD <laughs> in terms of, because all of the people that people now call iconic players were the people in the room. So I got to really see what it was and uh, and I wasn't an actor at the time, so nobody was thinking of me that way. And then suddenly I find myself on the acting side and nobody remembers that I was in the room with the writers and the producers and the network and the studio. I was sitting in that room listening to them talk about the actors. And they don't think the actors are smart. Don't believe that. Um, so, and, uh, but they also are not necessarily trying to be mean to the actors. They're just trying they have a completely different set of metrics that they have to deal with. And often your rights or whatever, whomever you are gets trampled over in the pressure of the gig that they're in. So when I say non-threatening, the reason why I say that is because you are artic articulate and you can have a conversation with the best of them. I call it, I speak that too, which is what <laughs> I, I come, I went to school in Tallahassee. I'm from Miami. Yes, I, you uh, do I, speak that. Yeah, you know, I grew up in the hood, yeah. and I went to school, but I'm self-taught. So when people people get grimy with me, I'm like, I speak that too. But mm -hmm. I also can have a conversation with you, and I've read, and I've, I've traveled. And so when I say non-threatening, that's why I say it, because you, 
you you got the the words and now coming from a librarian as your mom being a librarian then i understand that the vocabulary and the intentional use of words and that to me is threatening um to <laughs> because the people who are not threatening are the ones who are dance man tan dance <laughs> that's what non-threatening is to me that they can just yeah, we're gonna get you some, we're gonna buy you some Jordans. And, exactly. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna apologize to white supremacy because they're white supremacists, and I'm not gonna engage them in a conversation as if they're gonna put together some magic combination of words that's gonna make me forget them. I'm, I'm just as human as they are. So I just try not to mince words and play games with them fools. But by the same token, everybody else who's there's nobody who doesn't have somebody who they care about or in their family that doesn't fall into some ism category, <laughs> right? They're a homophobe, they got some sexism, they got some racism, they got, you know, they got something, some view that's bigoted in some particular way, but, you know, we don't know those people like that. And I always like to point that out, you know, we don't know them like that. We know them from a place of love. So you can't paint them with that one brush and we don't want anything to happen to those people who we care about, who like that. So while I don't want to argue with them about it, I also, I'm not, I don't want you to be eradicated. And that's where we part ways because you have no problem with me dying. I, I'm not have no interest in you dying. I think we both have rights. And I think that's where it just gets, it gets tricky because their own bigotry doesn't allow them to see that you're not a foe. I'm not trying to fight with you, homie. I'm, I'm trying to work together here. I'm trying to have us both live, but I'm not going to die for you and apologize to you while I do it. <laughs> no, thank you on that one. <laughs> so, Let's get into it. Your departure from American Gods, you were very vocal. Um, you talked about um, that it was I wasn't though. But but what I mean, what I mean was that you actually spoke up. Whereas yeah. so many people don't. And you know, people are like, I'm not gonna say anything because I, you know, I'm not gonna piss anybody off because then I'm not gonna work. And I I just finished writing a piece about this. We if we're not getting the jobs. And they're not telling our stories and they're not letting us tell our stories. What do we have to lose from telling the truth? Right? <laughs> I'm like, you know, how can you be an artist? Yes. That the only job of the craft, it only has one real job. That, that is to be a mirror, to, to reflect it back at itself. Right. Hopefully in a way that it might one day see itself, but you're not trying to kill it or hurt it. You're trying to reflect it back in a way that is entertaining to, to showcase how ludicrous it is. Right. That's what we're fighting about. It's ludicrous. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's for me the thing. It's like you are so offended by my silliness. Right. So you're offended by if I'm serious. You're offended if I'm not serious. You're offended if I'm talking. You're offended if I'm quiet. You're offended if I'm dying. Okay, so I have you've not given me a reason to care about your offense, and I don't give offense. That's not the way you take offense. That's right. I'm not included in the decision making process. Look at me waving my finger like my grandmama. <laughs> I'm included in the process, and therefore I will not be responsible for your choices and decisions. <laughs> that sounds like my grandmother. She would have just she just said it in Spanish. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like your grandmother. <laughs> yeah, she's she was well, she's still with me. So you were instrumental. You were you wrote those monologues. You were in the writer's room. I wrote one of them. Um, the first one was written, and I love pointing this out to people because it really does speak to my point. Brian Fuller mm -hmm. uh, and Michael Green wrote the monologue on the slave ship. That is, every one of their words 
I did not change a single word. Mm -hmm. All I did was try and bring it to life in the way that I felt it and in the way I thought that character should come to life. But those were their words. You did that though. You did that. And so did they. Right. They handed me that material. And that spoke to those two men and their character and yeah. the time and energy they put into not only trying to understand, but realizing some parts that they couldn't and spending a lot of time talking to people of color to make sure they got it right, right? Brian Fuller is a, a gay man who's had to fight his entire career. People accuse him of being fired off a show immediately after a year or two because he's so difficult. No, that's, that's not it. He's an artist. His work is beautiful. His Pushing Daisies is beautiful. His dead girl work is unprecedented. He's yeah. a lovely human being, as is Michael Green, both of which have been prolific uh, award-winning writers. But I like to point out two white men wrote that. Right, right. Okay. Two white Jewish men wrote that. Mm-hmm. So let's get it. Well, that's no, not true. Uh, Brian Fuller, I believe, is Irish. I don't think my um, but Michael Green is, is a man of Jewish faith. I, I love these two men dearly. And and uh, they did not shackle me, which allowed me to do with it what I did. They empowered me. Right. They did the thing that people say white men don't do. But those two white men did do that. Right. Yeah. So that's where it gets a little tricky. My treatment after they left was ludicrous. It made no sense, um, primarily because it didn't make business sense for them. No matter what you thought of me or didn't think of me, firing me didn't make business sense for you. That, that was crazy. It only hurt you. So the question becomes, then why did you do it? Because you had to do it in spite of that. It had to be so upsetting. My existence had to be so offensive to you that you would forego the money and the gains that came from it just to make a point. Mm -hmm. and, and most importantly, the reason I spoke up was because I have two daughters who I do not wish to encounter the circumstances that I encountered. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't attack anybody. I didn't offend anybody. I did the work that other people didn't want to do. Yeah. It was the new showrunner got his job because I did the work that nobody wanted to do. And then he never bothered to speak to me while he talked trash about me all over town. And then he fired me seven days before I was supposed to go to work. Seven days before I was supposed to go to work. And then he didn't tell nobody that I was fired for three and a half months. And then the company made money off of me by retweeting and posting the monologues that I did write while mm -hmm. people started subscribing to their network. People are like, in my inbox, excited about season three. They fired me in September, October, November, December. I said something on December 14th. I gave them three and a half months to do the one thing that they should have done, which was release me from my rights. Mm. See, the problem was I signed my rights were tied up with Fremantle since 2016. Mm. I didn't get released with my television rights until December of 2019. Wow. During that period of time, they used me 22 days. They held me for three and a half seasons of work. No, four, no, three and a half seasons of work. Mm -hmm but only paid me for one. And I did the job of actor, writer, producer, cleaning up other producers' mess. You paid all the other people and sent them home. You fought me about doing it. 
You disrespected me while I did it. I didn't argue with you about any of it. I just tried to get the work done. You applauded the work. You picked up the show again. And then you fire me seven days before I'm going to work. And you say it has nothing to do with race. But you tell people my character is the wrong character for black America. And you put me in the position of having to call your ass out. And then you tell me I played the race card. And, and I'll shut up because I really want to hear another question. But this is what I think about the race card. I want you to keep talking. How can I play the race card? Was it like I had gloves on and a bag over my head and you had no idea I was black? And then all of a sudden you said something and I went, ha ha, <laughs> race card, ace. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Didn't take these gloves off. Look at this right here. Forget about it. <laughs> what, what were you talking about? You knew who I was when you hired me. That's right. You know what you hired me to do. You approve the words angry gets shit done. Brian Fuller and Michael Green wrote those words. Season two is me. Me and Rodney Barnes throughout a huge section of that season, cleaning up the messes there were. But Mr. Nancy, that's me and Rodney Barnes. So that's what it is. I mean, I don't, I don't know. For me, it's so crazy that you would say I'm playing the race card. It was even crazier to have my own castmate come at me like that's what I was doing. And I'm like, that's a term white people use. That's right. Let me rephrase that. That's not, that's not fair to white people. That's a term racists use. That's right. Racists use that term that's to right. say you tricked them. What, I sprung my blackness on you? I didn't trick you. You knew the entire time. You did what you did because you thought you could do it. That's why you did it. You knew you could get away with it. That's the other reason you did it. And you had no remorse about it. You did it to be nasty. That's why you did it. Because see, you did it because of my race. You didn't do it because of who I am. You did it because of your issues and your problems. And then you tried to pin it back on me because why wouldn't you pin it on me? You don't care nothing about me. I'm a second class citizen. So all of your behavior is consistent. And you mad. I don't know why you're so mad, but you're real, real mad. But all I did was make you a whole lot of money right. just for a bunch of racists to look at me sideways and act as if, one, I was compensated fairly for the amount of money I made them, or I was treated fairly or equitably for the amount of money I made them. And for those things, I'm not apologizing and I'm not gonna try and leave these circumstances to my daughters or anyone's daughters up to come up to because I'm a man, so I consider myself having got it good. If I've been a woman, they might've tried to rape me in the fucking process because those are the characters of the individuals that I'm dealing with. They are truly nasty. Now that is not a denigration of all white people because all white people are not fairly represented by these individuals. But these particular individuals are accurately called what they are. They are bigots and they're nasty and they do it for no reason at all except they can. And it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with privilege and power. And for me, you know, I got to do the character I wanted to do. I got to bring it to life the way I wanted to bring to life. And I let the people speak for how they feel or didn't feel about that. I didn't do it for them. So I'm not mad at them. Their problem is business. You owe me money. That's our problem. Until you pay me my money, I'm going to have a problem with you, as you would have a problem with me had I delivered a lesser service than what you paid me for. That's right. This is business. This is all it is. So stop mm -hmm. acting like it's personal. I'm emotional. Like it's the first time somebody has, has been racist to me. Are you joking right now? I don't care about that. I'm, I'm good. I, I, I don't care if you call me the N-word. It don't much matter to me one way or another. 
but you ain't gonna take money out of, out of the future of my, you ain't gonna treat me like a second class citizen anymore. Thank you for it. Fuck that. I, I'm, you know, I'm right there with you. Like you said, <laughs> straight from my, from my soul. Um, angry does get shit done, right? It does, it, it? done in the last couple of months. Had angry not shown up in many in Minnesota, um, we would not have seen arrests. You know, and it was until in the first place. Absolutely, that's the part that that seems to get pulled out of this. It was that's anger right. that did this in the first place. We weren't put here lovingly; we were put here angrily. Mm-hmm. So we have suffered. We have been traumatized under that angry tone, and then they put a system in place to reinforce that tone to make sure that your treatment was a little worse than regular treatment just because you can't own a gun because why would you need to own a gun? Are you serious? I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid of you because I've treated you so badly. You have no reason to treat me equitably. So I fear retribution for my own actions. We have tried to meet that with every sort of peaceful, loving, you know, Come around here, my Lord, resistance we could with our faith, with our tenacity. And that's when I say we, I mean disabled people, LGBTQ plus 2S people, two-spirited individuals, Native Americans, Latinos, who I hate to group, <laughs> Mexicans, Colombians, Brazilians, Puerto Ricans. I don't like, I, I say like all of, okay? And also people who were white who didn't have the means to look like the other people, the po-white trash, uh, the ones that came from people who were in prison or whatnot. We all got lumped into the same category with varying levels of discrimination that are delivered upon us, even if you just fat. That's right. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a thing, right? And, and when you say black, everybody's like black. But for me, I mean, no, it's all the same thing. It doesn't matter if you say sexism or blackism or water scarcity. It doesn't matter what the word is or human suffering. It's all the same thing because it all affects the people with the same disproportionate nature. So, right? So we don't, we don't, we need, we're, the, we're in the same boat. Like this parsing it out in the categories, acting like we're different groups is anti-human. And that is, in fact, the problem. But I'm at the bottom of the totem pole because it gets handed out by virtue of shade. So because of the melanin, I have to yell hard for those who are the most in distress. And I don't consider myself the most in distress. It's black women who are the most in distress. With so few black men who will stand up for them. And I don't care if the black man, if my ex-wife is a white lady, it's not about that. My mama and the women who raised me are black, fat. They're still alive. They are my soul and my heart. I live but for them. And I have two daughters. I don't care if if sexism or women's suffrage ever wanted me. You got me either way it is. I'm fighting for my daughters who look like the most human trafficked children in the world because they are the target, eight-year-old girls of that age, brown, because they can be indoctrinated into pretty much any system if you get them early enough. They're trafficking our children. Let's, you know, that, that's what the real is. And I'm not going to apologize to you from that. I mean, come on, if they're trafficking your children and they are trafficking some white children. You look in Eastern Europe, it's going crazy. In India, it's going crazy. In Asia, it's going crazy. What are we talking about? What are we really talking about here? And you can't get any coverage, any any discussion about it. And here, one of the biggest traffickers in the world is on the world stage. Jeffrey Epstein murders himself 
and then his his ace, his number two, his homie, gets a, a heartfelt thanks from the president of the United States. I hope she's well. I, ho I hope she's well. <laughs> from the president of the United States. Now, No mention of Breonna Taylor, no mention of Sandra Bland, no mention of Atatiana, no mention of any of them. Hosanna but... in the highest. Hosanna in the highest, so show me your faith. The only That's purpose right. Christianity serves, the only purpose any religion serves is to stamp out repression, regression, and bigotry. That is the purpose of faith. Yeah. If you're not clear on that, then don't talk to me about whatever denomination you are from. If it only protects your denomination, then it ain't my religion. That's right. That's just what it is. Fight for the other denomination. Fight to fight for someone other than you. Be the unexpected that showed up for somebody else. You know, I mean, right. it's, it's such a simple thing. I mean, I'm please, if somebody as stupid as me can figure it out, <laughs> like I'm not a rocket scientist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm Southern. It's, I, I'm not trying to figure things out like I sit in some big house. I'm, I'm blessed that I do sit in a big house, but that ain't not Say what that. I that's where I, I came from. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I remember that other house, and I don't remember it as horrible times in some um, um, desolate ghetto. I remember it as joyful times. That's right. Beautiful times. I don't, what do you, the, I don't know what this hood is that you keep talking about that's all murder that's and right. mayhem. That's not where my parents put me. That's right. I mean, we ain't had no money, but I wasn't in murder and mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's always the, the extremes that are always highlighted when it comes to us. And then their spectrum, they get to just be regular, normal people. Kevin Spacey in American Beauty is just an all-American dad. But we always are the extreme cases and the, the, the caricatures of our, our culture. Because I, I, I mean... I'm working on it now. The TV show that I'm working on is about my family. And it's and the, the theme of my TV show is that I'm everything I am because they love me. And that is, those are the people that you may look down on, but you don't, you don't know where we come from. You don't know who we are and how we've had to overcome so much to create community and create what we have and family in spite of all of the things that have been thrown at us. Particularly so, if you only see us through our struggle. I mean, yes. you, you can't make us into victims. You're telling victim stories. Every story is about how we overcame some trauma, some trauma. horrible trauma. That's a victim story. Don't, don't, that's, what about the hero story? Yeah. I mean, the hero story is a beautiful story. It's Disney's entire business. If you look at the formula, there's always a hero, an underdog, who has to overcome an obstacle. And then in the course of overcoming that obstacle, that hero goes on to transcend. Right. It's an uplifting, inspirational story. Yet so few characters of color or women, aside from princesses, most of which happen to be of European descent, uh, are the stories that they tell. They seem to struggle to tell any other type of story because they only see us as victims. Right. So we get the princess and the frog in a halt. Moana, stop. Lilo and Stitch, that was an acquisition. You can't claim that one. Help me. No one who looks like me that I can think of. So few <laughs> of, of, of so many 
varieties. I'd love to see a disabled hero. I don't know why being disabled, that's 20% of the country. You think those people are somehow not normal because it's not your normal. You that's can't right. hire an able-bodied person to play that role. So you, hold on. You can't hire a disabled person to play that role. You can only hire an able-bodied person to play that role. And then you give that able-bodied person or that non-disabled person an award for pretending to be disabled, but you won't honor a disabled actor. Isn't that blackface? I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I'm, I'm not saying that the people who played those roles should be denigrated. I'm just saying that moving forward, can't we make some adjustments and honor and the artist in that community? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick here. I'm not, I'm not looking backwards, you know, trying to point the finger. I'm looking forward, asking what I believe is a fair question. I don't understand. I just, I just don't understand. I understand why it is the way that it is. I understand that the gills are overwhelmingly white. I, I understand that that's because those are the people who had those opportunities at that time. It's not the gills' fault per se. I understand that less than 5% of the guild works. I understand if you're not in the guild, you can't participate in the big machine. That's right. So there we are. There we are at the crossroads of what, what needs to happen, what memberships need to grow, how those memberships need to grow and how those companies need to do that, right? By empowering those storytellers. But how do you empower those storytellers if they're not guild members? Hmm. Wait, you mean that if the guild signatory like the studio hired the person, they could make them a guild member by making them guild eligible? <gasps> <laughs> that is a darn, holy, that's a good, somebody should do that. That's, <laughs> so if your work in American Gods spoke to the people, right? And all of them, not just black people were moved by that. Because, you know, people will say that, well, Black people were, you know, incited. Black people were really moved by it. But I have white friends that were like, yo, did you see my man? Like, <laughs> he did that. And I, I don't, do you realize the impact that you've had on people as, as the vessel that you were for those words? And you know, speaking to what's happening in this country, which has been happening for generations, because we like to act like George Floyd is where it started. <laughs> McDuffie, like it's been happening. Well, Walter Scott in the back running away, running yeah. away. Yes, in the back. So what, when do you, do you feel that, that that was such a, I mean, just a, it's, it's history for people of color, like to see a character on television speaking power to the establishment. I don't like to say truth to power because we I was schooled that we are the power. You spoke to the the establishment and you said what so many people want to hear because we're always told to bow our heads, to extend an olive branch, to forgive. But when you said they're not going to give it to us. Angry gets shit done. Do you understand the impact that that has had on culture and, and the shifting of the way we see things? Maybe I'm coming to understand it. If I'm being really honest with you, I don't, I'm not really trying to take authorship or ownership 
of it in, in many ways because- Let me stop you right there though. Let me stop you real quick. We're not talking about authorship. I'm talking about- Do I realize the impact? Uh, being the vessel because the words are the words. I understand. You, this is what I can say. And I you feel like- To us. I feel like even if I'm having a bad day and I, I'm not the type of dude that wakes up in a bad mood, I'm usually having a good day. So um, uh, I, I tend to be a pretty happy-go-lucky individual. Where the hell you been? So I just, just I don't know. It's, yeah. <laughs> I'm not whistling Andy Griffith badly. But my point is sometimes when I'm not feeling so great, one of the things, the miracles of my life is I'll meet somebody who'll be like, yo, dude, you don't even understand. And no matter where you are, that person takes you somewhere else. They take you up, right? They, they, you get caught up in this joyful moment. At least for me, I do often. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like as a storyteller, I wanted Mr. Nancy to represent everybody. I wanted everybody to hear their story in, in his stories. Mm-hmm. I wanted to slide and shift his accent into places to accentuate his understanding of how these words resonate in this particular culture. So I know that I, I wanted people to see themselves. I feel like they did. Uh, I'm grateful for it, but I have a really very clear damper on top of it. No matter how impactful it may have might have been, I also can clearly see what you know how I was treated because of it, mm-hmm. and the and the you know the attack that was unleashed on me around it, right, um, and the impact that, you know, that, that, that had, right. You know, being tied up for three and a half years, working 26 days and three and a half years as an actor, they had me in shackles. So when they let me out, I was trying to make the best <laughs> of what I could, which was frankly, not a lot of screen time and not a lot of opportunity. Cause I was tied up in a deal that just frankly made no sense. I, I don't even know how that deal got done. I, I, I did not realize it was as onerous as it was. And in season two, that deal got torn apart while I did that other work. That was part of what happened because they were asking so much more than what they had contractually obligated me for. Um, but I did the work anyway, because as an artist, I felt it was important to tell, uh, to tell our story. And when I say our story, I want to, I'm in a story that was authentically black, but also a story that was authentically universal. And it is the, it is the, the, the point of view, the worldview that our stories are colorized by our color and can't be universal. I wanted Mr. Nancy something so unauthentic, so unapologetically black to be universal because then you could never say that anymore. You You could never, oh, it's too black. White people are gonna get it. Okay, but if they understand Mr. Nancy, I apologize, you were dead wrong. That's right. And you've never done him before. He's never shown up before. And he did it within the confines of the mythology of his character. He is a character from the Ashanti people of Ghana. The Ashanti people of Ghana are in matriarchy. They do not believe that men can rule. Ashe. I'm sorry? Ashe. Yes, right? His mother, Mr. Anansi's mother, Anansi's mother is the goddess of goddesses, Asaseya. His father is the sky god, the king of gods. He was born into a situation where the king of gods, 
was not in charge, but the goddess of goddesses was. So his role was about putting Bilquis back where she belonged. Right. Everyone jumps over that part. It was about restoring Bilquis to power. The end of season one is about get yourself a queen. The speech in the funeral home is about trying to get the queen to understand that they're killing our queens and her wishy-washiness by being with the new gods and the old gods and trying to be neutral as the goddess of love, that love is killing us. Mm -hmm. That's the brutality of, of the thing. He could care less about death. Nancy is there to embarrass death. <laughs> He's about to shame death. He's only there long enough to know that death wants Bilquis because that's Ebus and to shame that fool, take her away from him, arrest the narrative and empower her. That's Nancy. That's what's scared to death. Everybody was so frightened of. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. In fact, I'm really happy in, in an episode, I think it's 206, it's the 1940s episode when Mr. Nancy encounters a, a Donar, who is Thor. Mm -hmm. He tells his origin story in that episode to Thor, trying to empower Thor to understand how important integrity is. And for him to stand up for himself and to stop giving away his value, stop giving away his power. And he's he's telling that message to, you know, a Thor who happens to be a part of the LGBTQ plus community. But he's telling him, stop giving away your worship, boy. And he tells him that by telling the error of the mistake that he made as as uh, as a Nazi. And uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm proud of that that work. I'm proud of those stories and I'm proud that they resonated. I, listen, if they inspired somebody, thank you. And thank you for inspiring me to write it. It's a reciprocal process. Uh, we share it together and I, I um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it, but by the same token, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm failing as an artist because my hands are tied and people are suffering and just trying to give them a way to take a break. And, uh, you know, I wish I could do more to, to transport them somewhere else and, you know, have people feel seen and heard while they're, uh, you know, scared, scared for their lives. So that, that brings me to the thought that um, when people don't undermine the arts, especially in moments like this, um, they, they uh, you know, idolize Charlie Chaplin for being Charlie Chaplin in a time where he was bringing escapism and bringing you know, just entertainment, art, and joy to the people in a time when America was and the world was not in its at its best. Right now, we can say the same thing because um, I consider this our dark ages. I, there is, you know, I always think Donald Trump doesn't realize that it's not the dumb people who write the history books. <laughs> you got to get some smart <laughs> friends. Like you have to stop with the anti-intellectualism because the ones who document history are of that ilk. And so you you just said it, that you knew that people were, you can feel people's pain and you wanted to give them something. And you did, you did, you gave us power. You spoke to us and said, whatever, whoever wrote, whatever they wrote, you, you know, when people say you get the Holy Spirit, that's what you did. You 
his spirit on. on uh, <laughs> well, Nancy's a storyteller, man. If he don't tell the story with passion, ain't nobody gonna tell it with passion. And he likes to, he likes to walk you through the woods, you know, with his stories. He likes you to to smell the branches and feel the breeze. And you know, it's fun to play a storyteller like that. I mean, he's from my childhood. You understand, like. Mm -hmm. I wanted to play that character my, my entire life. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah. And so when you, um, what, it, what are you, what are you thinking about creating in the future by way of your own words? Because you are powerful as a writer. Um, so, you know, some of us write and some of us write. And you, <laughs> like, you really, you, you know, you get into, you know, they'll, you know, the game, they'll put you yeah, in the a couple of punches here and there and you get a writer's credit but there are some people who are really putting you know the their the the pen to the 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 soul is coming through the pen and you know those writers and you're one of those people so what are you thinking about creating for us now because you set the world ablaze with this and now we expect more from you um there are there is to be honest with you, there's so much stuff going on right now. Um, it's a little crazy, but I'll I'll do a, a quick recap greatest hits as much as I can. Um, I'm doing some really exciting stuff on the animation side that I'm really hyped up about with uh, NBC Universal over one of their new platforms called TGG, uh, TG, TGZG. Mm -hmm. Super excited. TZGZ, sorry. Adult Swim sort of animation. Super fun. Um, funny, interesting stuff. Uh, uh, things provocative, <laughs> let's say. Um, uh, I'm doing some really fun stuff over at Sci-Fi Wire in the same space. I think fandom's an incredible space. I think there are so many powerful voices in fandom. Mm -hmm. I, I personally have been so inspired by fandom it's uh, an audience I love engaging with and and have, they've been major Mr. Nancy fans. So there's a lot going on there that I'm doing with Sci-Fi Wire that is coming up shortly that literally I'm writing. I'm writing all this stuff right now. Um, so we are in the production mode right now. We start production uh, soon. Gosh, can't believe that. So uh, and then on the live action side, there's a my graphic novel, Tainted Love, which looks like it's moving forward again. Uh, a project called the, uh, the Merry Wives of Windsor, which is another project that's moving forward that's in the same story world as Tainted Love. And then uh, lastly, Life Insurance, which is another project. The, all three of these projects work on the American-Canadian border with this grouping of, shall we say, criminals of different types of criminals, as they were. Uh, mm -hmm that uh, use the border to broker. Um, they uh, are in a, an interesting fabric that reflects the fabric of what's going on in real life. And you meet the real life characters who are, shall we say, the, the superheroes in this world. Um, and they're all just regular people and their superhero quality is how the thing that they love that they're not supposed to, their tainted love, propels them through the world to help them get to where they're trying to get to. So um, super fun and very much to me, like Mr. Nancy, because these characters have a lot to say about things that people generally avoid. They run towards the more difficult subjects. 
uh, primarily because the more difficult subjects are their loves and they're not about to give them up to you. So it was a way to really have those characters speak with passion and authenticity, but then be faced with another character who ain't about to back down from nothing you said, <laughs> who's gonna speak with the same passion and authenticity. And uh, that just seemed like an exciting world to play within that turned a lot of tropes on their head. And and uh, it's the kind of work that I like to do. It's the kind of work that we're doing in Gods. And, uh, and then lastly, I'm excited about The Good Lord Bird. Um, it's coming out on Showtime, I believe in October. It's based on uh, the James McBride award-winning book of the same title, The Good Lord Bird. Um, it tells the story of a little kid uh, named Onion who was emancipated uh, by a white abolitionist named John Brown. If you care to Google, John Brown is a, a true to life American figure and hero. He was a white man who believed that uh, slavery wasn't, should be abolished. So much so wherever he went, he took his gun and he murdered anybody who held captives and freed those captives on the spot. Yeah. Uh, he All right, so uh, we have a little technical glitch. Um, Orlando hopefully will be back with us because it is something that he, he got cut off right when he was talking about the man who liberated the slaves by way of shooting them. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Hey, right when you started talking about- right? Well, you can't talk about yeah. John Brown, boy. Problem. <laughs> What just happened? I was like, wow, it's amazing. We see you, Facebook. <laughs> Hold on, right? What is going on? First of all, I ain't apologizing for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. I was like, what? Every time you try to tell the, the you try to free the slaves, they cut you right off. Right <laughs> Cut him out. Why he still talking? Why he still talking? Um, so John Brown was emancipating slaves. That's what he was doing. And he, while he's doing that, he murders these people and emancipates this little boy. Mm -hmm. But he thinks the little boy is a girl because he ain't paying no attention to him. He's too busy reading the Bible and shooting people. <laughs> the other thing about John Brown was he did not believe that he was ever in peril because he thought he was doing God's work. So while people would be shooting at him, he would be casually talking to people. <laughs> and just ranting it, you know, it's like, bam, bam. And the Lord said, under you, pick that up and grab that over there. You are free, young man. These heathens will never be able to keep thee. Bam, bam, bam. Because the Lord said, and you're like, what is going on right now? <laughs> <laughs> and Ethan Hawke is incredible in this role. Mm. And, uh, the kid who plays Onion, who's the kid who gets emancipated, it, the story is told through his eyes. So it's told through the eyes of this young man who's smart enough to realize that it's less work if he pretends to be a girl and he's in less danger. So that's what he does. You know, that's funny because um, I beg to differ. <laughs> and, right? That's what I said. I was like, that's the stupidest move ever. Okay. I, no, I disagree with Onion, but that's what he thought. That was his mindset just because it was less labor work. He could be in the kitchen hanging around, blah, blah, you know, just because of the, you know, the 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 roles prescribed by gender at the time. So um, 
Yeah, it's a fun story. I'm, I'm excited about that one. I play a, a, a character that I really love called the Rail Man. Uh, and uh, the Rail Man is the, you know how you hear stories about the Underground Railroad, but they never tell you anything more than the Underground Railroad? Yep. And then you hear stories about people sending letters and how long it took to get letters, but you don't really understand anything more like how did word of mouth work? Right. So that's what I loved about the Rail Man because the Rail Man was the guy who really ran the railroad. And he was friends with the, the mayor and the white mayor. He saw him as a good man and as a just man who was helping him and his family, but they had sold off all of his family. And he had enough money to buy three back and he needed the money to buy the last one back. And his timeline to get his family and go was being crunched because John Brown was trying to raid an armory in Virginia. So suddenly it was gonna be huge unrest and what happens during unrest is all the slave owners will send all their slaves. They all sell them to another plantation further down south because they don't want them to have a taste of emancipation. And if they've had that taste, they want them to go elsewhere so that they are, you know, you don't know where you are anymore. Right. They've they've shuffled the, the, the deck on you. So the way he had to get the word out was through the numbers man. And the numbers man were the ones that did the numbers. But if you paid them while people were buying the numbers, they would tell you what the news was. Right. So that was the fastest way to get the word out. Grease the numbers, man, because he only cared about his money. If you didn't give him his money, he wasn't doing it. And then by doing that, you could get the message out up north so that free blacks up north could come down, take up arms at the armory and create a stronghold to fight against slavery in the south by John Brown taking the armory. But it's the lesson of how information was transferred. It's the complication of relationships to understand that there were white people in that community who didn't believe in what was going on and did what they could and understood and were a part of the Underground Railroad and how they really fat fit into the system. And hearing about that, seeing that and being able to bring that to life in this type of piece for me, it was exciting because I'd just never seen it on screen before. Mm -hmm. and, and to also play the type of character who is functioning in that system. Mm -hmm. he, he got a roll of keys because he's in charge, not because he's a minion. Mm -hmm. He is actively taking on the system to free his family. He is nobody's victim. Just to see that character during that time, I, I hadn't seen before. So... Um, I was excited to play him and excited to, you know, for me anyway, those are the type of characters I want to bring to life. Um, and I really want to do Ted Patrick, Oliver Tambo. Again, I did him in Mediba, but I really want to tell Oliver Tambo's story. I really want to tell Kurt Flood's story. Mm -hmm. um, Kurt Flood's the man who created free agency in sports. Mm -hmm. And then number one on my list is James Baldwin. That, that, that is really where a lot of my focus is right now. Um, I was going to ask you that you and you 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 gave it to me because we're on that same frequency. So let me ask you this: um, How do you see one of the things that we talk about here is everyone who's come from Charlemagne to Killer Mike? We always talk about solutions. Mm -hmm. What? How do you see Hollywood? People ask me all the time. How could I focus on Hollywood when so many things are happening in the world? And I try to explain to people, I'm a creature of metaphysics. 
understanding how images affect the way we see ourselves and others see us, how important it is to our humanity as people of color when they put out images of us as fully realized human beings. And so I, I ask you, how do you feel that Hollywood can participate in its part in supporting white supremacy? And, and I know, you know, the, the answers usually are we need more writers, but there's a big responsibility there because the children are always watching. So I wanted to know what you thought from your perspective, how do we participate in the solution of, of, of helping? Because I'm not a civil rights leader. There are people doing that every day on the ground and they don't get the credit. You know, I'm not a, an attorney. I'm I'm an artist. I'm a writer. I, I'm creating stories, and I want to I want to honor us. And when I tell our stories, how do we participate in the solution um, in liberating ourselves as well? Look, I think it's really just it's what's in your local community. I think you have to look to what's directly around you, to what you can affect, to what you can put your hands on right now, and. And that's for me where where it, where it starts. I, I think we have to stop looking to institutions uh, to try and solve these problems. That's not that's not even their role. Their businesses are just trying to make money. When it's good for business, they'll do it. And if they don't do it, then somebody else will create a business and they'll be out of business. That's uh, you know that's the way the system works. So I think that for for me anyway, storytellers telling and bringing stories to life in their immediate community that can affect the lives of children is powerful. So your city council meeting is a powerful thing. It generally lacks storytellers. One of the most painful thing ever is listening to public politicians trying to tell a story. Oh my goodness. It's horrible. Yeah. It's just painful. And often the story gets missed and all the pomp and circumstance and the, hey, look at me, I'm important. It's, you know, artists have a, a crucial role in helping disseminate information. And so that means aligning with the correct information is also really key. And separating the difference between science and belief is also very, very key. So for me, there's so much caught up in people's own artistic belief that isn't science-based. Like I hear people argue, you know, a controversial issue like abortion. And I say to myself, I hear your argument, but if the argument is life, then to be fair, the egg was alive and the sperm were alive already before they joined and created another life. But to say that this is certainly life and that isn't life, what are you talking about? It was life the whole time. That's okay. science. That's not, that's not religion. And, re and you can't use religion to answer a science question or science to answer a religious question. You can't, you can't do that. Those are apples and oranges. We don't, we can't, that's not the way it works. You don't, you don't chum the ocean with, with chicken. Mm -hmm. You don't do that. By taking that foreign substance and putting it into that ecosystem, you create something entirely different. That There's no reason to do that. And so for me as storytellers, what we can do within our local communities and the young people that we can help uplift and inspire is really key. When I look at the system of Hollywood uh, as a whole, then I think there is a real case to be made for how the how, how the suffrage, how women and the images of women have changed. We are a far distance away from to the moon, Alice, in the 50s, where a punchline was, I might punch my wife because she's so on my nerves. Mm -hmm. So we're away from that narrative. We're away from the, you know, the images of Ronald Reagan smacking women, the images of, 
of uh, Raging Bull when an Oscar nomination comes from, you know, that, that man's violent scene of domestic ab uh, abuse with his wife. So that change in the portrayal of women is slap them if they say, if you don't like them, has absolutely changed the treatment of women. However, men still have most of the speaking lines. Um, women of color are, are by and large only the best friend um, with no love interest. Love between people of color or between any interesting configuration except the pre-prescribed what's already been done before is shunned and ran from. I mean, so we're just simply not seeing representation, but but we're not seeing it. It's, it's beyond black or white. We're not even seeing clear representations of white. We're just seeing the same ones over and over again. We're not seeing the, the, the lack on black is, is it's, it's a lack in so many different ways. And so I think that when we say diversity, I think we have to get away from this notion that we're talking about one thing. You know what I mean? And, and that's where I believe Hollywood is most broken. And then lastly, I say to consumers, support artists like Ada. If, if, you, if that's what you really want to do, then support those artists who tell those types of stories that empower you and make you feel that way. And by doing so, you'll get more. But if you, if you lift up the wrong thing, they'll continue to make the wrong thing. That's just how it is, right? And, 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 and what the wrong thing is and isn't is I don't know whose job it is to say that, right? I, that's not my job. And that's why I kind of like, you know, what, whatever you like, you like none of my business. I'm not going to try and tell you what you should and shouldn't like. Who am, I, who am I to do that? But if you care about something implicitly, I think it's incumbent upon you to support the, the images that support that, that which you believe. Um, and I don't really see that happening. I see people you know, people don't really care, right? They just want to do what they want to do. And, and I'm not telling them they should care. I'm telling them, you know, stop bitching because you don't really care. So mm. let it be what it is. I mean, you don't have to pretend you care just to make me feel good. I'm okay with you not caring. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do anyway. Like, we don't need to play these games with each other. And frankly, I feel like most people are just playing games. They're giving lip service. They're they're doing the popular thing. They don't want to get shunned. They don't want somebody to dislike them. I think most of them are just insecure and following and don't really care. But those of us who really do care, mm -hmm. apathy is our problem. And yep. let me raise my hand. You know, uh, I, I've been lots of apathy in my life. <laughs> and uh, I'm focused, you know, on trying to change that. And that's you know why I got involved with Mike S. Adams and the campaign here in Wilmington, North Carolina that was brought to my attention uh, by my manager and the support group that uh, had pre-existed me that were, you know, trying to figure out how to move forward after having been doxxed and death threatened and all that madness. And I'm, I'm glad that he resigned. I was uh, uh, humored by people's response to his resignation and their vitriol over how much money he got and mm -hmm. having to say, Guys, he got a half million dollars over five years. That's $100,000 a year. He had to pay Uncle Sam at least 28% of that money. He had to pay the lawyer at least 30% of that money. And he had to pay his ex-wife half of that money. 
he got $17,000 a year for the next five years. That's how his retirement came up. That was not his tenure package. You mad because he got $17,000 a year for five years? Shouldn't you be happy that he's no longer in the place where he's teaching young minds criminology and infecting our judicial system? Yeah. Shouldn't should you be happy that he can't go after any more, you know, lesbian, gay, queer, bi, two-spirit students, trans? He can no longer launch his non-binary war and preach white supremacy on the scale that he was previously doing. That, that you're not going to celebrate. You're going to get mad over some money stuff. You're just as bad as these people who only care about money. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Let's stop pointing fingers at each other. Let's focus. And I just, I, I feel like whomever those are of us that want to focus, let's focus. And those that are just talking, let's just ignore them. They are a distraction. They are. Uh, so a lot of people have been commenting that they can totally see you as James Baldwin. It's <laughs> like one, two, three, four, five, six um, comments that I can read right there saying, Orlando favors Baldwin, Orlando is Baldwin. You are James Baldwin, I see it. I think that it's amazing to see that the the, the frequency that I believe in that, the people are right there with you. And I, I love Baldwin. I mean, I, I, I did my, uh, before I left school, the last big uh, improvisational theater piece I did was Baldwin, collected mm -hmm. essays from the price of the ticket. Uh, I performed in a, in a theater. Uh, yeah, I wrote that piece when I was, 17 it was probably i mean i wrote a baldwin piece while listening to nina simone and i gotta say probably that more than anything else listening to those artists on a loop yeah. uh, and trans i mean for me they became so much of the foundation for what i think about and what i care about and just i was so really i'm just beyond inspired by their their work and their their tenacity and their worldview and their compassion, they just, they really blew my mind as humans. I was like, wow. Like, <laughs> I was like, these people are next level. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like listening to Nina sing Lilac Wine is like, I mean, where that, where that, that sound that comes out of her, like, it's just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's just, uh, it's just as, as an artist, I just found it was like, it was transformative. It just took me somewhere else. And so, for me, that's what Baldwin is, right? I mean, for any character, that's what Nancy was. Uh, you know, hell, that's look. That's what the idiot Clifford Franklin from the Replacements is, as far as I'm concerned. They're all these offshoots of the same thing. You know, I mean, I, I know exactly where Clifford came from. I know how he walks. I knew who I based him on. This guy named Tyrone, who was a mechanic in Gettysville, South Carolina, who used to not have a suitcase, but he used to wrap a piece of luggage, a piece of a box up with twine. Mm -hmm. and that was his suitcase. And he saw no need for a suitcase because he could wrap a box with twine. So he was not in any way ashamed of it. And he's the only person I know that could hear a car go by and say, oh, that's a problem with the car degrader. Oh, that fuel injection is, is charged. Oh, that's a, that's a Datsun B210 honeybee. I was like, what? How do you kind of survive? Like, that's what he was as a mechanic. Right. But sang Sam Cooke songs, could hear what a car was, just what he was, twine box and looked like what, what, what we used to call double jointed because physically he was just a specimen as a human being, a beast of a football player decided he got tired of hitting people and he preferred fixing cars and singing Sam Cooke songs. So after running multiple touchdowns, he just stopped doing that. 
So I was like, that guy, that's Clipper Franklin. <laughs> that, that guy start, starts off with a box and twine and then starts talking about himself in the third person like Carmelo. That's the guy, that's the path. But again, you know, just people you encounter along the way, artists that you, you know, cool people that you encounter and you try and put them together and bring them to life and crazy shit like that. So I don't know, Ada, it seems to me you'd be picking up your mic slaying people left and right. So you're doing your thing and your Mika's doing her thing. So I figure we'll all get together and do our thing together at some point. But like, I just feel like people we should keep doing their thing. The, the real uh, Frankie and Johnny. The real Frankie. <laughs> fan to my soul. The real Frankie and Johnny. The melanated Frankie and Johnny. I'll do that. To be real. I'll do that. <laughs> If you know anything about a Sam Cooke song, you know it was a story. It had a soul. Yes, it did. Absolutely. Died in the parking lot in Hollywood Boulevard. What? <laughs> Fox, right? It was the Snooty Fox. Yeah, it, it was. was. That's all. Oh, look at you. I just, go and get that off your shoulder. No. <laughs> <laughs> go and get that off your shoulder. I love Sam Cooke. Um, you know, Sam Cooke, there, there's a there's a group of people that inspired me, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, yeah, yeah. Um, Bruce Lee, um, a, as yeah. a girl, you know, people were like, where are your girl heroes? And I was like, my grandmother, my mother, you yeah, know, exactly. like, but it, when Sam Cooke and um, I mean, the catalog, unbelievable, you know, Dude, I mean, just a, a change, just his his own crazy journey of being like, Oh, y'all are gonna take me seriously. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so yes. I'm gonna write a, ch a change is a, a, a coming is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> We're gonna stop this madness right here. Okay. Right. Marvin Gaye is not the only one that can write a powerful song. That's right. <laughs> but just yes. where that where that came from, but the you know was an, it's such an interesting place to hear an artist write from, right? One feeling shunned, and then by the same token, feeling. Um, like his people are in such pain that, and, and he's not doing enough. So he's failing them by doing this other thing. You know what I mean? Like that whole trajectory in his mind is a crazy story. I mean, it's a, a different story uh, than what we hear about artists today, which is so singular focused on them and their fame and, and they flossing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a different metric of importance about what is important and, and what you should value. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different, I guess, a different type of artistry, you know, not to be, not to denigrate it or look down my nose at it at all. Um, because I think out of that also comes some powerful stuff. It's just different power coming from a different place. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say thank you for coming and talking to me. Um, you know, a big movie for, for someone like me because Soy Saldana is Afro-Latina. I went to school in, in uh, Tallahassee but I went to a school where we had a drum line and mm -hmm. we had a team and that, that just seeing all of that come together for, uh, for someone like me, where I came from was just like, those are my people. Like, <laughs> Show style march again. Hell yeah. <laughs> and my best friend was the captain. Like yeah. I was just, you know, you don't, and just, just. To, and fam is right there. You in Tallahassee. I mean. That's where I, I mean, I went to school at, at Florida State, but I, I socialized at Florida A&M. Yeah. My that's father coached basketball at Florida State. And I was the kid who was running across that field, snatching up stuff, ter ter terrorizing Dr. White. Oh, is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, I was there, <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why I was like, no, 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 no. I know, I know what this is. Yeah, there was a funny. I told the story. I might have told it on Karen. I can't remember, but um, they were trying to get me to do a movie called Like Mike at the time, which is uh, about Little Bow Wow. My boy Morris Chestnut ends up doing it. Does a wonderful job in the movie. Uh, but I was like, no, <laughs> this is my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> Show style marching. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I had to do that movie and just to, you know, approach it with the musicianship of those guys, right? Because they're all Miles Davis in their minds, right? They're they're not messing around with the music, right? So, and and so many iconic Isley Brothers, Commodore, all of the iconic bands came right out of those music programs because you had to go to a black college, which meant you were in a show style marching band. You know I mean, it's when you look at the contribution to culture, global culture that came out of show style marching bands and those instructors and the students that they taught. I'm like, that's history, real history. And so I was, I just wanted to tell that story and was fortunate to, to, to help launch Zoe and Nick at the same time, uh, which for me was super exciting because it was an Afro Latina and it was, you know, another young black comedian who was coming off a, you know, a, a sketch comedy show and everybody thought he was goofy. And I was like, nah, I, I'm, I'm going to get you through this. Like, there's a way you can do this and you're going to murder this. And they murdered it. And I just, I remain so proud of both of them and, and glad we've been able to maintain a relationship and friendship. You know, we don't talk that often or anything like that, but, but anytime we see each other, it's always love. And I'm, I'm just so happy for them, man. It's been amazing for them. It just, it, it makes me proud that it was, you know, that to be so, you know, to be there and to come do that movie, uh, you know, when nobody knew who they were. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> and to encounter them doing the work, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they can't, you know, Zoe worked her butt off. That didn't come naturally to her. She worked really hard to nail, you know, to get the moves. And I was just so proud of how hard she worked. And she was a sweetheart the whole time. And, you know, Nick and I sat in the trailer and he dreamt up stuff like wilding out, you know? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It, it, which is why I was on the first episode, you know, it, it was so incredible just to see, those dreams come together at that time and then see them go to where they are, man. It's been lovely. So love to Zoe and Nick always. Oh, and to see you as well, go where, where you've gone and where you will continue to go. Cause now you owe us. <laughs> now yes, you owe you I, I'm a pay. I'm a pay. I'm a pay. And um, I want to say thank you for being here. I know that um, everyone is busy and everyone is going through stuff. So I really appreciate you and your support publicly. Um, as a comedian, you know, I'm a writer, I'm an actor, I yeah. am an artist. Yeah, and a very talented one. No, thanks. But, you know, I really, I really just respond to people who just walk the art because we get so caught up in Hollywood with the celebrity stuff and the celebrity culture and the art is so important. Yeah, that culture is stupid. I only care about the art. You deal with the culture as best you can, but the, the artist and artists like yourself and, you know, and Yamika and I, I'm just like trying to be like, yo, <laughs> like, just look over here for a second. You say you want something fresh. You say you want something new. Here's something fresh and new. So, you know what I mean? So, you know, serve it up, serve it up, Chef Curry. There you uh, go. <laughs> thing I'm going to ask you is, look, and I like to put people on the line. Um, I am shooting my special for HBO Max and I will be shooting it in New York. Mm-hmm. And I expect to see all the faces of the people who I love to be in the house. Because for oh. me, that's going to be tabernacle. I'll let your boy. I'm just letting you know. I, yes, y'all, 
Listen, I, I know I've been put on notice. I ain't trying to get myself in a situation where I run up on you in the street and you whip my ass because I ain't trying to get embarrassed by you. I understand I'm not going to win that fight because I, I understand. Nah, so I, I'll I be where I'm supposed to be. I don't put my hands on the Kings. <laughs> my grandmother did it enough for me. But I just I do say you you know you gave props to James Baldwin, you gave props to Nina Simone, you gave props to Sam Cook. Those are the people that came before us. Just know that to the young people who are coming after us, you are there, Sam Sam Cook. You you represent that. And I, looking at these comments and seeing the way people have responded to you, not just today, people who don't want to watch the show anymore, who will not support it for you not being there. Just know and it is important for us to give our flowers to our people while they are here. And so you, you you just got to receive it. You just got to let it land. Thank you. So you got to let it land. It, it's hard for me. I, I'm a fan and I like to not be separated from my people, but, but, to, to say I feel honored is 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 to you know not put it truthfully. I mean I'm I'm humble. So thank you. We put I'm just putting some respect on your name. Thank you. Thank you for putting some respect on my name. Okay. As a matter of fact, as we close the show out, we're gonna close the show out with Mr. Nancy. And, ah, okay. Uh, we're just gonna show, we're gonna let people see uh the greatness. <laughs> we got the, we got the clip. And we don't want to interrupt you because you are just powerful, a powerhouse, like what I called you. And then it's just inspiring. And right now, people who look like us need inspiration. So I wanted well, to. Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you. We all need inspiration. Yes. Um, with your uh, your monologue, because so many people. Uh, Which one? The first one or the, uh, the second one? Uh, the third one? The uh, angry gets shit done. Oh, the first one, yes, perfect, fantastic. Even though they wrote it, it's beautiful. No, it's please, I, like I, I love it. I love it. Uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> My, the, the thing that makes me laugh the most is the fact that he's got time in the middle of all of that. Uh, a fucking purple shirt. It, it is the time that this jackass takes to straighten out his shirt. Because when he says that, he remembers, am I looking okay? And then he goes right back to what he's saying. <laughs> That's what makes me laugh at it. I'm like, look at this motherfucker. <laughs> and, you, and you say that and some of us got that glory tear in our eyes right here. <laughs> Just absolutely, man. It's, um, it's uh, Nancy's a force to be reckoned with. And, uh, and so it's is really God, because he could care less about the people he's talking to. He wants the ultimate worship, which is to you give your life and sacrifice to him. And he'll say anything to get it. He's an interesting guy. God. You just did that. You just went there. You just went there. So I, oh. I want to say um, thank you. Uh, I'm a thank forever you. fan and supporter. Uh, uh, cuenta conmigo, as we say in Spanish, that means. Cuenta conmigo? Cuenta conmigo, which means I got your back. Okay. 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 Uh, and I see you, mommy. Please say hello to uh, Raquel and Paloma. I will say hello to Raquel and Paloma, uh, my boo-boos. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. And we are going to go out with Mr. Nancy. <laughs>